I'm Carla Bailo from the Center for Automotive Research. Thanks for joining our podcast today. And this, this session is going to be focused solely on sustainability and some of the recent discussions we've had with affiliates at our sustainability roundtables and some of the big concerns about the costs that may be involved and who's going to pay for it. And then how can we look at making these changes in a holistic fashion so that our customer base changes, their mindset changes, and how can we do this and be fair and efficient for everybody involved to really create the path to, to future sustainability in so many facets. So stay tuned and, and hear more. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the CAR Podcast. I'm Carla Bailo, and I'm joined today by Brett Smith. And we're going to talk about all things sustainability focused. I shouldn't say all things sustainability. We're going to focus on the, on the environmental side of sustainability because we all know that there are many other aspects, including the social and diversity and inclusion side, and of course, on the governance of, of business, including cybersecurity and other factors. But we're not going to talk about that. We're going to focus mainly on the environmental side. And you know, the reason why we're choosing to talk about this today is CAR recently held a couple of sessions with our, with our affiliates and, and talked about what's on everyone's mind about sustainability. You know, we all know that um, companies are being judged by their uh, sustainability scorecards. Everyone is being requested, and in some cases not requested, demanded to reduce your carbon footprint. What does that mean for how companies are going to um, behave in the future? How are they going to invest? How are those investments going to be managed differently? So these are the things that we'll get into, into today and, and maybe expand beyond that. So maybe, you know, Brett, we held those two sessions and I just wanna talk about some of the themes that we heard. We heard a lot about, you know, uh, we wanna understand what everybody is doing. We want to, um, you know, make sure that our plans, the glide paths make sense. Um, we want to somehow be able to manage the cost adequately because it's not gonna be cheap to do some of this stuff but then the cost of doing nothing is perhaps going to be more expensive. So I, I just, if you could, uh, you know, share with us some of those key salient points and we can delve into discussing a little bit more deeply about why this is so important for the industry and for every, every company's future proofing. Sure, Carlin. It's good to see you and talk with you again. Um, <clears throat> So as we um, at the Center for Automotive Research have been going down the path of sustainability with our affiliates, um, we have to think back to a couple of programs we have here at the Center for Automotive Research, the Coalition for Automotive Lightweighting Materials and the Advanced Propulsion Roundtable Group. Both of those are, are very focused and very interested in sustainability in very broad and, and maybe sometimes different ways, but, but very much a key part of that whole discussion. Um, and even more so in the last couple of years, I think, Carla. So as we've been talking to them and, and other affiliates, it became clear to us at CAR that the sustainability discussion was 
important to our stakeholders. And I think it was a really open space for us to explore. You talked about this, uh, these last couple of roundtables we did, some of them including coal or call members, some of them including propulsion folks, but all of them made up, <clears throat> all of them made up of our affiliates. And these affiliates are concerned about, certainly about the planet, certainly about the environmental sustainability, but also how this affects their day-to-day -day jobs. These are people that we spoke with that, that have varying degrees of involvement in, in the sustainability part, but all understand that as we move forward, the customer or their customer, the, the car companies, is requiring more and more emphasis on understanding how to be sustainable. And I think as they do that, they first have to figure out what sustainable is. Yeah, and you talk about the customer. It, in our conversations, I think everybody's kind of wondering, will the consumer of the future care about my carbon footprint? Will they care about my um, environmental practices and you know, um, you know, what my logistics footprint looked like to get them their product? You know, I think it's interesting when we look at our supermarkets in the US, I mean, we have really gotten spoiled. We're used to being able to buy any kind of fruit, any time of the year, any time of produce. Um, you know, we just expect it to be there and we don't think about the fact it probably had to travel halfway around the world on an airplane to get here. So sometimes I think, you know, if every product in the supermarket had the official carbon footprint associated with it, would we change our buying? And I think this is an interesting question. I'm not so sure maybe those in my age group would, but what about the Gen Zs, the people that have grown up seeing the polar bears floating on ice, you know, loose pieces of ice in the middle of the Arctic? You know, it's a whole different mindset. Carla, I think um, as, as we've talked to our affiliates and others, I think there's a very clear desire to be more sustainable. I think they're also very uncertain as to who's willing to pay for that. Mm -hmm. Whether it be the end user, the, the car the person buying the car, or the person manufacturing the car, or the person manufacturing the parts and materials to the car. I think part of the, the opportunity of this work we're doing at the Center for Automotive Research is to help really identify how we can move through the system these, these costs that, that may initially be a little bit higher, but over time, um, as you get more sustainable processes may in fact be less costly in, in some ways, but the initial concern is always who's going to pay for this and who values it. Lots of people may value it, but do they value it enough to pay for it soon? And that's, as you point out, maybe a generational thing. I don't think it's entirely a generational thing. I think a lot of the people um, that we spoke with are probably not necessarily um, young, but they're very, very concerned about, and we heard this over and over in our discussions, we want to save the world for our children. Mm -hmm. We want to make this a better place. We just need to figure out how to do it in the framework we're working in right now. 
Yeah, and I, I think, you know, the, the cost pressures in the automotive industry are huge because, you know, the profit margins aren't very big. So everyone is always looking at every penny. And when you look at some of the outlays, you know, for all the different elements, and we're not just talking, I think we have to be clear, we're not just talking about the electrification itself, we're seeing tons of money go into that right now, tons of money into battery plants, into product development for the electrification. But we're also talking about what you're doing in your manufacturing plant, what you're doing in your offices. So it's every element that's coming together. So um, when we think about that, you know, it, it can be a significant amount of potential investment in many different areas that, yeah, who's going to pay for it? What kind of ROI do you have? And I guess the, the thing that keeps coming in my mind is, is it the same economic equation that we've always used? Is the NPV ROI the right way? Or do we have to look at it as it's just what we have to do for survival um, in, the, in the future? And that's a whole different way to think about it for the automotive industry. There, there are a lot of people that believe this is in the long run, a more cost effective and certainly efficient way of doing things. But the challenge, Carla, as you point out, is that transition to getting there. How do we think differently about what we're doing? Often in the roundtables, we heard suppliers say, look, we can do the right thing. We can make our process more sustainable. And by the way, you're right, sustainability is a really, really broad discussion point that, that probably none of us really understand how, com how complex it is. But they said, we can probably do the right thing. But our customer, the car company is going to come to us and say, yes, you're doing the right thing, but they're doing it for two cents a widget cheaper over there. So we're going over there. And as long as we always have this price pressure in this transitional phase, as we figure out the most efficient and effective ways to be sustainable, you're going to have suppliers, first tier, second tier, third tier suppliers, getting the message that, yes, you need to be more sustainable, but you're also going to be probably played against the other suppliers who may or may not be as sustainable maybe supplying from a region that doesn't have the same environmental standards as, as we do, um, maybe supplying materials that, that are um, gathered in a way that may not be as sustainable, but the cost comes down to the end or at the end. And the message we got again was, we are concerned that as we do this, we're always going to be compared against that low cost competitor who may or may not be sustainable in their materials processes. Yeah, so I think that kind of brings us to how the how the companies that are purchasing their product will be judged. Is the scorecard going to be the same? So right now, most companies are concerned about scope one, scope two, which does not include your inbound elements into your process. That's scope three. But a lot of the investment community is starting to now ask and ask about what your scope three look like. And in that case, when that becomes part of the equation, let's say being, you know, to give you your sustainability score as a company, you know, it, once that starts, 
then I think that question will answer itself. Um, you know, fundamentally, yes, they're going to have to take into effect your sustainability. But how far does that go? You know, most companies go out to tier X, right? How far down in your tiers do you even know? And how can you answer that question properly? So I think going into scope three is going to be very difficult, but I would anticipate that the big companies would be impacted first, and then that would roll to the others. But who knows how long that's going to take? I mean, that could take take years from now before everybody has to report all the way through to scope three. And I think that timing is is interesting. And we've been we've been watching this certainly. I I remember doing um, working on some LCA life cycle analysis stuff back in the nineties. Um, haven't done, didn't do a lot between now and then, but we've been back involved in this for several years. And just in the several years we've been watching it, the wheels have been spinning pretty quickly. People are getting pretty serious about this. And I think one of the things, again, back to our roundtables was they're also really sophisticated. They understand this. Right? They may understand that they don't understand everything, but they understand how important this is and how complex it is. And the level of concern is raising, but I think also that level of knowledge and, and insight upstream and downstream for them is getting a lot better. Um, even if they can't control it, at least the companies that we've been dealing with talking to are starting to understand how complex and how important it is, which makes it um, maybe a lot more promising and that um, you may start to see companies effectively managing their their um, inbound materials and, and understanding the processes of where they come from quickly, or at least more quickly than maybe we have been in the past. So there, there's hope, I think, a lot of hope get, coming out of that those roundtables that the companies are willing and probably not fully ready yet, but, but getting more ready every day. Yeah, for sure. I think everybody understands the importance. It's kind of the how, you know, the, the how are we going to implement this? How can we implement it and keep our costs in control when right now costs are skyrocketing, right? They're, they're going out of control. We see what inflation is doing, what it's doing to raw materials, steel, aluminum. I mean, every aspect of your business today is going up, not to mention even your workforce cost. So you know, how to think about investing, you know, with something that may not have an ROI for several years is very difficult. Are these kinds of, of conversations and questions what was kind of circulating around the room? And did we hear any nuggets of what companies are thinking? Or are they all just kind of in this quandary of how are we going to do this? I think actually that that word quandary is a kind of a good starting point. We heard over and over in these roundtables, and surprisingly, I think, was all of the respondents, most of the respondents at least, saying, hey, we need better communication here. We need forums that we in the auto industry can, can get together and communicate and talk about this and, and not just talk about things that we should be doing, talk about how to do them and who needs to help and where we can go to get help. Because I think Carla... Uh, again, small sample size that we dealt with, but a pretty pretty well-informed and pretty knowledgeable and, and thoughtful group was asking for help in so many ways. So we know we have to change. We want to do this personally, they're saying, 
because they want to make the world a better place again for their kids, for their grandkids, whomever it may be, um, and because it's the right thing to do. But we also want to do this because our customers are starting, our, our customers, the vehicle manufacturers are starting to hit us about it, saying we, you need to be mm -hmm. more sustainable. Um, but we don't understand what that is, or maybe, maybe better put, we don't get a consistent message on what that is. Mm -hmm. And this ability, I think, or this need to get forums, to get opportunities for people to, um, people, companies, organizations to really start to smooth out, start to quantify and qualify and categorize what those steps are and how to, how to make it fair um, for the entire uh, value stream and value chain, how to mm -hmm. make it fair and effective. And I also think, you know, on the consumer side, you know, how to shift that. I, I know, you know, Brett, and I'm not sure how, how many of our listeners know that I lived in Germany for two years. This was back in the early 90s, in the late 90s. And I lived in Japan for five years. And that was, you know, up through about 2011. And these societies think much differently about recycling, reuse, um, you know, it, it's a much different mentality. Also, um, th they think differently about spending more for things that they know are made, you know, sustainably. Um, it's just kind of now part of their part of their mentality and culture. Um, you know, buying local is a good thing. You know, it's it's you know just what is commonplace not having star fruit in, in January is normal. Um, you know, but it, our expectation as a society is much differently. So it's not just, I think, a corporate issue, but it, it, it's a more human issue. And are we also tackling as a, as a nation that human thinking issue to think differently? And you mentioned expertise. I'm not sure who has the expertise. I don't know who in academia I would call a sustainability expert in terms of, you know, what it means from a investor standpoint, what it means, you know, what, what would be good or bad. And then I don't know how many people, you know, are in the human behavior side that can even begin to tackle how to manage this mentality shift. So, so Carla, you, you started that discussion by talking about different perspectives in, in Europe or, or other parts of Asia. I think probably most Americans that have traveled to Europe have been scolded about throwing something away or at a restaurant, at a, a fast food restaurant or something, not putting your recycling, garbage recycling in the proper bin. It's a different attitude over there, over there being Europe specifically in this case. Um, and you see that, I think, with the companies that spend a lot of time in Europe. Um, they, they understand that difference, but they also understand that the U.S. market is probably less aware of those things and values it differently. And I think that um, the consumers, as you talked about earlier, um, partly it's generational. I think we, as we see generation after generation come, younger generation tends to have more interest in this. Um, but that was said back in the 70s when we started to clean up rivers that were on fire and all those challenges and cleaning up steel mills and other things. Um, and we're still doing that. 
So it's a long transition, at least it has been a long transition. I wonder if um, all of the things happening in the world today um, give us the opportunity to make it a more rapid transition, or maybe as you pointed out earlier, might make it even harder for the companies because they're struggling to get supplies as it is, let alone worrying about getting supplies from um, sustainable sources. Yeah, and that's why I think it's got to be a more holistic approach than just expecting the companies to do it without this perception change on the other side for the for the buyers. Uh, I think we need to do both. You know, another example that I want to give, and then we'll just chat for a couple more minutes. Um, you know, when I lived in Japan and in Germany, you couldn't find paper napkins, and if you could find them, they were abhorrently expensive. You weren't going to pay for them. Same with paper towel. Same for those things that we can buy 500 of them for $1.50 or less if they're on sale and think nothing about it, you know, but you just didn't get them there. You had cloth napkins and, and you washed them, you know, when you were, were done using them. And yes, washing and drying does require energy, but it, it doesn't go into the landfill and we've made appliances a lot more efficient. But when you think about that, the economics of this has to, has to go hand in hand, right? I mean, you have to think about how to price things properly so that that might help drive consumer behavior changes. We've already done that with in the automotive side with carbon footprints and luxury taxes in, in other economies. So maybe we have to think about that through the whole the whole gamut and you know you have to do a little bit of carrot and a little bit of stick perhaps but i mean these are some of the things you, you see when you go elsewhere you mentioned you know going to a, a restaurant or fast food in in europe i remember the first time i went you had to pay extra for little ketchup packets you know because it, they cost money right you shouldn't expect to get them but you know it it, it shocked us with our mindset but you know, nobody else thought a thing of it. So, but it, it takes time to get through that transition. I think, um, again, my background over the last 15 or 20 years has really focused on the propulsion side of this environmental discussion. And we've talked quite a bit today, I think on the materials and the manufacturing and the logistics side of it as well. But I think your, your points come back to this whole discussion we've had for 30 or 40 years around um, vehicles, fuel economy, and, and greenhouse gas and greenhouse gas emissions, and and who really values it? And in the United States, we don't see a lot of people buying based on GHG reductions for vehicles yet. It's exciting to see things maybe changing in the industry, maybe changing quickly. But I go back, Carla, think about. Um, 2012 is when the government started measuring um, or at least regulating greenhouse gas emissions on vehicles and measuring it at a, a grams per mile measure. Um, still, to this point, probably less than one tenth of a percent of car buyers know what their greenhouse gas G or grams per mile emissions are for their vehicle. For sure. It's not a big thing. It's not how they capture or how they consider it. Um, I'm sure even fewer know the grams per 
pound of, of groceries they buy or anything of if sure. you want to measure it down that way. And making that conversion is a big, big step. Um, one that I think we've, we've shown over and over is, is challenging in this country, not impossible, but challenging. And I think as, as we look back at the roundtables we did, um, we see people starting, uh, careful here, there have been people working in LCA and sustainability for decades and decades and decades. Um, we see people again starting to go down this pathway and think, how can we do this? And how can we do this with or without the end consumer really measuring and understanding it? Because at least in the short term, a lot of it's going to be done without the consumer. I think that mm -hmm. part is going to be challenging for the industry. They may still have to do it. And I think that's where this communication, this ability for the stakeholders, not just the consumers, but the stakeholders throughout the value chain start to really focus on sharing information, sharing knowledge, and, and sharing strategies. Yeah, and I kind of want to end it there, Brett, because I know we're going to have several follow-up uh, discussions on sustainability as we continue this uh, journey ourselves and supporting our, our clients and affiliate members um, as they go through this journey themselves. But I think one thing is clear, it's very holistic dilemma. It's not just you need to clean up this one piece, but yes, you need to clean it up, but you need to do it affordably and you need to make sure somebody's willing to pay for it or at least acknowledge that there was some, uh, some change in cost and some behavior changes in the consumer are warranted. So thank you so much for, for listening to our podcast today. More to come on this subject from Brett and myself. 